You're listening to a podcast of Master Your Finances with me, Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional. Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. on 1077thebronc.com. Another day, another dollar, and our certified financial planner professional, Kurt Baker, will give you the tips you need to turn that single into a sea of green with Master Your Finances. Whether you have enough to get by or too much in your pockets, Kurt Baker and his weekly guests are here to show you how to manage it all. Master Your Finances is underwritten by Certified Wealth Management and Investment, LLC. Now listen up, because it's time to get a hold of those money matters and master your finances. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Master Your Finances, presented by Certified Wealth Management. I am Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional located in Princeton, New Jersey. I can be reached to our website, which is www.cwmi.us, or you can call me directly at 609-716-4700. This week, we're very pleased to have with us uh, Nina Weiss, uh, attorney, and she received her law degree from Fordham University. School of Law in New York, New York, and is a graduate of Brigham University. Nina was a founding uh, and the managing partner of Sierra Weiss Guardianship Law Center for 13 years prior to opening Weiss Law. Her own law practice focused on uh, guardianship and related matters. Uh, She is the former associate counsel of the New Jersey Office of the Public Guardian for Elder Adults and a former legal specialist with the Office of the Commissioner of the New Jersey Department of Health and Senior Services. Nina credits her four years at the Office of the Public Guardian uh, with her graduate degree in guardianship work. Uh, very few attorneys in private practice share the unique perspective gained by Nina as an attorney at that office. She served as court-appointed attorney and her guardian uh, in many complex guardianship and general equity matters throughout New Jersey. She's a professional mediator and is on the roster of court-approved mediators administered by the New Jersey Administrative Law of the Courts. She's also a former member of the District 7 Ethics Committee in in Mercer County and has previously served as a member of the Advisory Committee on Supportive Housing through the Real Life Choices Program, a Division of Developmental Disabilities, and previously served as a chairperson of the Mercer County Bar Association Chancery Bench Bar Committee. Thank you, Nina, very much. That's a lot of stuff you got going on here. And I mean... You did a, a boot camp just a few weeks back, and it really struck me. And this is an area that's kind of near and dear to me because um, guardianship is kind of a thing. I think it's very much misunderstood, um, and a lot of people don't realize what's out there, what options they may have. I mean, in our case, we had a situation where our son had serious mental health issues, and we were actually at this point we were thinking, do we need to really kind of almost take over his life? And we didn't. You don't want to. Frankly, as a parent, you don't want to do that because you're kind of taking away their choices, right? That's right. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, that's why I was interested. And in. I'm just kind of curious, just as background, and this is kind of, a, to me, a, a little bit of a unique area of the law. How did you kind of flow into this area, so to speak? How did you kind of get interested in this area of the law? It is true. It, it's a very enigmatic area of the law. Um, and um, it's important when you're practicing in the area to help clients strike that balance that you were talking about regarding your son or whoever else you're working with, um, to protect them on the one hand, but to ensure they have their autonomy on the other. 
Um, frankly, I sort of just fell into this area. Um, when I graduated law school, um, I ended up working in the commissioner's office at the Department of Health for about a year. Um, but we weren't working with clients one-on-one, -on -one, and I always had a strong desire to be an advocate for people. Um, so when I saw this job posted um, th through the state of New Jersey, um, it's the public guardian's office is a state agency, but it's unique because we have private clients in that office. So we served as guardian for well over 300 elders living all over New Jersey. Um, and that office had a staff of attorneys, social workers, accountants, and they were our private clients. Um, and like you said in the introduction, I worked there for about four years and again, highlighting the issue you brought up, um, we became guardian for, you know, most people who needed guardians. Um, that office serves as the guardian of last resort in New Jersey. So if there's sadly no family or friends to serve for the person, the public guardian is appointed. And, you know, nine times out of 10, the appointment was appropriate and we became the guardian and we helped make decisions for the elder adult oftentimes living in a nursing home, sometimes in their own home, to make medical and financial decisions. But there was that small percentage of people we became guardian for, and our social worker would go out and meet them in the home, and they would return and say they have capacity or they have some capacity, and they don't want us making decisions for them. And it became a real conundrum for us because here we are serving as their guardian, and they might not need it, and they might not want it. Um, so when I went into private practice, I went in with that understanding to help clients navigate if they, if they feel they have a child with mental illness or an older adult who maybe had a stroke or has dementia. Sometimes they might need what's called a full guardian, but sometimes they need less than that. They need what's called a limited guardian, and we can talk about that where you give decision-making in some areas to the guardian, but not all areas. Right, which I was very happy to hear from your presentation. That there's a lot more uh, nuances within it that I think a lot of us realize. Because, I mean, anytime you hear um, you have, you know, the guardian of last resort, I mean, when I, when I hear that as a planner, I'm like, we probably made some mistakes somewhere. If we're, if we're getting to the point where we're literally asking the state to take over for us mm -hmm. as far as a family goes— um, so do you have any kind of basic ideas of things maybe people should do um, if they see something like this happening in their family? Just kind of let's start with the basics of what this all means and things that they can do. Because I think people are kind of afraid of this. Like, I I'm not sure what to do. Right? I have a, a person that I would love to have them do things on their own, certain things they can do. But other things I'm very concerned about. Right. What, I don't know what to do because I can't be there 24-7 to make sure that these things are taken care of. Do I have to, like, take over? And you don't really want to. <laughs> right. Well, the first thing to do is while people have capacity. So, for example, if, if you're parents um, and you're raising, ch you know, quote, ch normal children, let's say, who mm -hmm. don't have a disability, um, when they turn 18, um, they become adults legally. Um, so a, but yet how many 18 year olds are the best decision makers? You know, many are not, but they're entitled to make all of their own decisions. So part of good planning, you know, a lot of parents, I think nowadays are in tune with this. And maybe when they go off to college, you might want them to sign 
uh, an advanced directive for health care, a power of attorney, so God forbid something happens to your child, um, they've appointed you to help them make decisions, which would avoid having to go to court later on. Um, if you have a, an adult you know, living with mental illness or a child turned 18 who has a developmental disability, might be along the autism spectrum, um, it's a good idea to, to see an attorney. Um, unfortunately, a lot of school districts, um, when students turn 18 who have IEPs and are living mm -hmm. with disabilities, um, they say, you know, go get guardianship. And it might not be necessary. You know, some students living on the spectrum are high functioning and they might be able to do a power of attorney or a living will where they have the capacity to say, I trust my parents and I want them to help me make decisions. And they might be able to voluntarily sign a power of attorney. But if their capacity is more diminished, then the attorney can help guide them towards what's called a limited guardianship. But in either way, it's ideal to go see a professional, you know, who does this routinely. Um, it's, you know, if you have a heart condition, you're better off going to a cardiologist instead of a radiologist. Or mm -hmm. it's the same concept applies here that you want to go to an attorney who's seasoned in these areas. Right. And you brought up kind of an interesting point in the mix of all that is some some of these uh, planning tools are really put in place in case something happens. Like I get in a car accident and I need somebody to really stand in for me and I may be perfectly healthy. But then some of these other things are like somebody that maybe on an ongoing basis might need help with. Maybe they're really good at going to work, but they may not be good at like handling their finances. Exactly. But like they might be prone to somebody calling them, say, hey, we'll transfer all your money over to me. And they're like, oh, sure, fine. They just may not be aware of like the ramifications of that. So you want to like talk a little bit about some of the things that are like things that we do voluntarily. All of us should really do, frankly, because if something happens to us, mm -hmm. we want to have somebody help us out. Right. And then the other part is where you want to where somebody who kind of needs us to guide them and help them and. Um, you know, partial or full, you know, full yes. capacity, so to speak. So all competent people, you know, we're all presumed <laughs> competent. We right. wake up, we have our coffee, we could start making decisions during the day. Should, as part of good planning, sign a power of attorney and a living will while they have capacity. Because like you said, you know, you walk out the door, you get hit by a bus mm -hmm. and you're... Those darn buses. Exactly. <laughs> and you're hospitalized. And even if it's temporary, mm -hmm. if you can't communicate or if you're cognitively impaired temporarily, while you were competent, you took the time to designate a spouse, a son or a daughter. What people don't realize is that legally, even if you're married or have children, they don't have any legal rights to make decisions for you. Um, practically speaking, you know, if, if someone's hospitalized and the spouse is there, many hospitals will look to the spouse to make decisions. But legally, there really is no authority to do that. Um, so part of good planning is to either download forms online and do a power of attorney on living will or to see an attorney and to have those documents done, tuck them away, give them to your doctor, make sure the right people who need them have them. Don't put them in a safe deposit box with a key where no one can find them if they're needed. Um, so that's just part of good planning for, for everybody mm -hmm. over 18. Um, someone who may have special needs, there's what's called limited guardianship. Um, like I spoke in the boot camp uh, that you attended uh, about a month ago, um, it used to be in New Jersey and probably in a lot of states that guardianship was viewed as an all or nothing proposition. 
where you had a file for what's called full guardianship. Um, and like you said, that might not be appropriate because someone might be able to go to work every day at the radio station or wherever they're working, right. but is susceptible to undue influence with their finances or can't make an informed consent for medical decisions. Um, many young adults along this autism spectrum fall into that category. Um, parents are advocating for them throughout their lives to be as independent as possible, go to college, work. Um, so the last thing you want to do is saddle them with a full guardianship if it's not necessary. I agree. I know there's a lot more to talk about. We have a break coming up. So we'll get back. We'll talk a little bit about the difference between like the full guardianship, the limited guardianship, all the options. Uh, we'll be back from the break in just a few minutes. It's not about the money, money, money. It's all about how you manage your money. Now let's get back to learning how from Kurt Baker of Certified Wealth Management and Investment with Master Your Finances. Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finances. I'm Kurt Baker here with Nina Weiss of Weiss Law. And we're talking about guardianship and the various types of guardianships you can kind of set up ahead of time and plan for. And you want to talk about like the different types of guardianships that are out there? Sure. For us and kind of finish that out for us? Sure. Um, so... In New Jersey, it used to be that the only option was basically a full guardian, um, which would mean um, you would have to um, show dem a, a, to back up. A guardianship is a court-sanctioned arrangement. Um, so whereas a power of attorney and a living will is a private arrangement, you go to attorney, you download forms, there's no court involvement with that. Um, as we were discussing on the break, if for some reason you haven't done that planning or if the person never had capacity to do that planning, um, then you have to go into what's called the involuntary surrogate decision-making arrangements, which are, which are court-sanctioned. Um, all guardianships in New Jersey um, are under the jurisdiction of the Superior Court of New Jersey. Um, there's 21 counties in New Jersey. Um, even though there are uniform court rules in New Jersey and laws, statutes, each county has its quirks. Each county handles these a little differently. Um, but generally, the process is you would see an attorney and you would file what's called a verified complaint for guardianship. Um, and what you have to show in that complaint is that the person, the what's called the alleged incapacitated person, um, is unfit and unable to manage either all of their affairs or some of their affairs. Um, and you would need to um, generally have the certifications of two doctors or one doctor and one psychologist um, who meets the person, evaluates the person, and signs what's called a certification saying that for various reasons, either dementia or, you know, autism or mental health issues, that they're at least presently unable to manage their own affairs due to these issues. Um, you would file that with the court, um, and you could file either for a full guardianship or for a limited guardianship. Um, arguably, a full guardianship should really be for someone who can't make, you know, any any decisions. Yeah. Um, and there are people like that. Um, if they've had a stroke, let's say, they might not even be conscious at this point and cognitively impaired. It doesn't mean they won't rehabilitate. Hopefully they will. But for that time, they might not be able to make any decisions. Um, there are some young adults with autism that's very severe. 
um, and they might not be able to make any decisions. So there are those individuals where you would need full guardianship in all areas. Um, guardianship generally is split between personal issues and property issues. So personal issues would include medical decisions, um, where to live, which, you know, residential decisions, mm -hmm. um, vocational, you know, if they can work, things of that nature. And then property is their finances. Okay. So, I, I, yeah, this is great. So um, I, if somebody's, uh, I, I know you brought up an example where somebody was working and you had a little bit of a, like mm -hmm. an unfortunate incident happen because they didn't have the things properly in place. Do you want to like, explain uh, just yeah. a crossing guard or I think yes, or something? Yes, exactly. And, and how that's kind of sad how, you know, you can do things ahead of time. And some a lot of these, a lot of people, like especially like in autism, I mean, you want to be productive part of society. That's right. kind of a human nature piece, right? Right. And if you have capacity to do things, um, you really want to get out in the workforce and do things, right? Absolutely. In my opinion. I, in my opinion, you should never retire. You just pick what you want to do, <laughs> right? You should be doing something. Right. If you're being philanthropist or, or your job, or doesn't, you have to do something to be right. productive, to keep your brain and your body moving. Uh, and I think it's the same with anybody, regardless of whether they have any uh, kind of disabilities, right? So do you want to kind of tell that story for sure. us again? It's a bit of a war story. Um, <laughs> like I said in the boot camp class, it, it's an extreme example. Um, but it, it's illustrative of what can happen if, if you don't prepare a guardianship the proper way. Um, so this happened when I was working in the Office of the Public Guardian. Um, we were appointed for an elderly woman who was living in her own home up in Bergen County. Um, and I believe the application was brought by a, a county agency. I think they'd fear she was being exploited by a neighbor. So they filed for a full guardianship. Um, it went to court. And our office doesn't usually become involved until we become appointed. So we, it went through the process, and she was given a full guardian, and the public guardian was appointed. And our social workers went out, and they met with her. And, you know, she was a lovely woman, had her fingernails polished. You know, she was, she was functioning on... A pretty decent level and they learned when they met with her that she was working as a crossing guard um, on some small corner near her house I don't think she was the only employee working there I think she was working alongside the police but she was working she was being paid a, a small wage and it gave her purpose she she loved seeing the children every day um, it, it gave her meaning in her life and the social workers came back to our office. We had our weekly meeting. We discussed this woman. And the public guardian said, wow, you know, I'm her full guardian. We're a state agency, and she's crossing children. What if someone, what if there's an accident? What if a child gets hit um, on her watch? We're going to be sued because she's now under there's a court order that says she's a fully incapacitated person and that she can't make any decisions for herself. So the public guardian called the local police and we had her fired because the public guardian felt she had no choice that, you know, she this was a potentially serious situation, even though the guardianship was probably at that point, you know, not appropriate. And from that point, she didn't 
she didn't do well after that. She she lost her sense of purpose. So the moral of the story is um, there were two ways we could have avoided this. One, the agency that went into file, if they felt she was being exploited, let's say, they could have filed for what's called a limited guardianship where they said someone needs perhaps to oversee her finances, but we understand she's working. The police are permitting her to work. We should at least allow her to retain that ability in a court order. Um, and the second issue, which I guess we'll get into maybe in a later segment, is the role of the court-appointed attorney in this. Because in all, in all guardianships in New Jersey, an attorney is appointed for the person, and they should have advocated for her um, and said, we need to make this a limited guardianship to preserve that right. Now, granted, anyone could be sued at any time, even if the court order said limited guardianship, but the public guardian would have felt that gave her an out. She would have been protected had the ju judge adjudicated saying, you know, Sally is needs help with her finances, but vocational, we're going to carve that out in the order and preserve that right for her. Right. So I, I, I'm, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong about that, but it sounds like if you're taking control of like her finances, so you have some responsibility there as a fiduciary to manage, manage right. the finances, something happens there, you might be responsible or liable for that. But if, but if your area only covers the finances and she happens to go out and something happens, uh, God forbid, with right. the crossing guard issue, that really comes under her personal liability insurance or whatever that may be. Right. And so the state is kind of not responsible, but when you are, you know, you kind of use that broad, you know, full guardianship, now you're responsible for literally all of her actions. So that's really for somebody who's, you're really kind of watching them pretty carefully all the time, right. um, as opposed to somebody who can actually go out and function and do things. Exactly. Um, so you can really kind of slice off the little pieces that they might really need some help with. And I mean, honestly, I mean, a lot of people have trouble with finances to begin with, I mean, even if they're fully capacitated, right? right. I mean, that, that's an area that people um, sometimes struggle with just in, in general. And if you've got a diminished capacity, I mean, that might I can see that happening where, where people, I mean, you have elder abuse, you have a lot of things happening on the financial side um, that's pretty scary because right. that's kind of where the money is, so to speak, is the older people, they retire, they have those funds, and so they're, they're kind of a target. And so I can see how that would be an area that people would be concerned about, but they might still be fully functional in many other social capacities and personal capacities. Exactly. And, and some people go and some attorneys go in with the approach, well, what's the harm just go for full guardianship, and then you can give them their autonomy on your own. But I always tell them, based upon this example, you really want to memorialize in a court order what's really happening in their life. Um, and there is a statute in New Jersey that permits limited guardianship, and it defines the area, so why not utilize it? Right. So I'm going to bring up my own example. So our struggle was we didn't want to have full guardianship. My wife and I kind of mm -hmm. discussed this, let's say, because we were concerned about, okay, we need to help. But because we wanted to be involved in the medical decisions is really all we wanted. Everything else was pretty fine. Everything right. was fine. It was just a matter of if there was a hospitalization or if there was a need, we wanted to be in there because otherwise, you know, HIPAA and all these rules, right. you can't be involved by law, as you know, once they hit 18. Right. And as you know, uh, we think there's a big gap in that 18 to like mid-20s where they're adults, but they're not really fully functional as far as the decision-making processes and things like that until at least their mid-20s. So right. you've got kind of this period of time where many people, not everybody, but many people do need some extra help under certain circumstances. And we had that happen in our family. Right. So what are your thoughts about what we, maybe we could have done? Well, the mental <laughs> health area is a complex one 
because yes, I know. Uh, <laughs> that I know. <laughs> and so many people are struggling with it. Right. It's there's still stigmas, unfortunately, sure. but it is reality that many families are affected by mental illness. It, it's difficult because a court is concerned about preserving autonomy, and mental health is such a roller coaster sometimes where. A person could be fully competent if they're compliant with medication, or but there could be times that they're not functional. Right. Um, in the mental health arena, there's basically two ways to craft a limited guardianship. Um, the way we discussed where um, a, gar- a, a person retains, let's say, vocational decision-making, and the guardian makes all of the decisions. In the mental health context, I don't know if we have time in this segment or the next segment, but I had a matter in my office with a mental health issue, and we handled it another way where the guardians were vested with limited authority and the person retained all other decision-making. Okay. I definitely want to hear about that. We are running up against the break, but I I want to hear about I think it's very important because that's a a, a very, in my opinion, a very big issue that's under-addressed. We'll talk about that when we come back from the break in just a few minutes. It's all about how you manage your money. Now let's get back to learning how from Kurt Baker of Certified Wealth Management and Investment with Master Finances. Master Finances. I am Kurt Baker here with uh, Attorney Nina Weiss, and we're uh, we're talking about limited guardianships. And when we left the break, we're talking a little bit about something that's near and dear to my heart. It's like the mental health area, which is a very, a very complicated area, as you pointed out to begin with. But then when you're trying to advocate for somebody, you don't necessarily want to take over. But I think in our case, at least, we wanted to be kind of another person in the room to help and, ha- and have enough information where we could actually talk to our son and say, hey, you know, we're, we're kind of informed, too. And what do you think? We really didn't want to take over. Right. Um, but we wanted to definitely be informed. I think in guardianships, um, and it might be in the mental health context that sometimes you do need to invoke court intervention, even though you might not want to. Um a, a way to help parents is to tell them, you know, if you become a, gar- a limited guardian, if it's done the right way, you're becoming an advocate for the person. So you don't want to view it as taking over their affairs. If, if you craft it in the right way, in the least restrictive way, um, the person hopefully will appreciate it and the court will know you're not trying to overstep their bounds. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a situation in our office several years ago where there was a a relatively young woman living with mental health issues. Um, I believe it might have been bipolar. Mm -hmm. She was functioning quite well, working. Um, She had previously been treated at McLean Hospital um, affiliated with Harvard in Massachusetts, but she was living in New Jersey. And her siblings, her brother and sister came to our office because she had I think she might have been fired from her job. It was a trigger for her decline. Mm-hmm. Um, she went off her medication, and they wanted to get her back to McLean, where she had previously been successfully treated. But she was refusing, and the refusal was a function of her illness. She didn't know what was best for her at that moment. Um, but they were very concerned that they didn't want to trample on her autonomy. They, they, they wanted to get limited access to, they wanted to be able to attend meetings. They wanted to be able to get health records. Um, They wanted to be able to sign insurance papers for her and get her transferred. But they didn't want to take over any other area of her life at all. This sounds familiar. (laughs) Yes. 
So we said, we'll file for limited guardianship. Um, I don't even remember. I guess somehow we were able to get the physician certifications. If for some reason the person refuses to be evaluated, because again, that might be part of the underlying illness that they don't, they're saying they don't want assistance, you can file to the court without that and tell the court they're refusing. And if the court finds by reading your papers there's enough here to say they probably need some kind of guardianship, the court will issue an order compelling them to submit to an exam. I think we might have had to do that in that situation. Mm-hmm. So, and then the court appointed an attorney in all guardianships in New Jersey, the court always appoints an attorney for the person because there are civil rights issues involved and that person becomes, a, becomes, a, becomes an advocate for that person. Um, and in that situation, I, the court did have concerns because you want to make sure you're not becoming overzealous and taking over their affairs. But the court found that it was least it was the least restrictive result for this woman, and they did successfully get a court order, and they were able to orchestrate her transfer to this hospital in Massachusetts. Now, luckily, she, I guess. She, she was objecting, but she was complacent. So she, mm-hmm. once they got the court order, she went. Um, what's important to know, it, to make it even more difficult for parents or siblings struggling with loved ones with mental health issues, um, a guardian doesn't have the inherent authority to admit someone, let's say, for psychiatric treatment. But statutorily, there is a provision that if you apply to the court, the court can grant a guardian that specific authority, but it's limited. So for example, if a guardian becomes appointed and they're given the authority to, let's say, facilitate an admission to a psychiatric hospital, and they do that, they fill out all the paperwork, they get them approved, they orchestrate the transfer, the person goes, let's say. Um, let's say a weekend, the person's saying, I, I'm calling a taxi cab and I'm, I'm leaving, I demand out. Um, the guardianship's authority, the guardian's authority basically ends. And then the, the state or the institution would have to find that they're in a committable status, which means they're a danger to their self or others, which is a different legal standard than guardianship, where guardianship is unable to manage one's own affairs. So it's, again, it just makes, it does make it difficult to get help, but I always tell people, you know, guardianship is not necessarily a panacea. It's a tool in the toolbox. Um, And if it gives you that much more legal authority to get them what they need, it makes sense to do it. Right. Yeah, no, I think it's good when you can kind of be the partner with them when they're when they're physically when they're mentally able to do it that way. Um, Because, I mean, we're all human beings. We like to make our own decisions when we can. We don't really want to have other people make certain decisions for sure. But that fine line, especially when dealing with mental health, where, as you point out, it cycles when they're on and they're fine, they can make all the decisions just fine. And then maybe a couple of days later, they right. may hit, hit, a, hit a wall, and now they're having a really tough time making any decisions, much and, less important ones. And it's important to note that guardianship is not necessarily permanent. There's a, stat, there's a statutory or court rule that talks about a restoration to capacity. So, for example, in a situation... If someone has mental health issues, the court, as a mechanism, might say, we're going to come back in six months or a year and revisit the continuing need for guardianship. And it might be that there's been a change in circumstances. 
they've improved, they've rehabilitated, they're on medication that's working. And then at that point, the court can undo the guardianship. So it's not necessarily permanent. Oh, that's good. I mean, I like that idea because, um, you know, just historically we see that if people do who, who do comply and who do get treatment, most do find a solution over exactly. time. And it's just a matter of how fast is that going to happen. It may happen quickly, but it may take years in some cases. So uh, that's the good news, right? And I'm glad to hear that that kind of works its way out. And if you can help them do that, all the better for everybody, right? Exactly. Um, I know you want to talk a little bit about the court-appointed attorney right. and, and, and what that capacity is and how all that fits into this whole process, because it is a civil rights issue, right? right? So when you go into court and you got to have you have to be represented, correct? That's right. So you want to explain that a little bit for us? Sure. So in, in all guardianships in New Jersey, um, an attorney is always appointed for the alleged incapacitated person. Um, usually these are attorneys who do this area of work um, and the court will appoint them. Um, and that person is not the eyes and the ears of the court. They're not an investigator. They're not, they, they are there to be a, what's called a zealous advocate for the stated wishes of the person. Um, your cookie cutter guardianship where you might have an elderly person with Alzheimer's or dementia or a young adult along the spectrum who's not high functioning, they might not have articulated preferences that they want to make. And the attorney would meet them and speak to the proposed guardians and file you know, a relatively straightforward report, basically saying they have, they have no objection to the relief. There's there's no reason to there's no grounds to contest the capacity issue, and the parents are the appropriate guardian or the children are the appropriate guardian. But sometimes, you know, the attorney goes out, and one of two things can happen: the person outright objects, and it could be an elderly person who's saying, I don't need any help. How dare my children do this to me? And I I will contest this. And then at that point, the attorney would not file a report. They would file what's called an answer to the complaint, just like you would in any other civil action, and contest the matter. Um, or I, I've been appointed in many cases where, let's say, parents might file for a young adult along the spectrum and it might be that the attorney determines limited guardianship is more appropriate and the parents either weren't aware of it or might not want a limited guardian. Sometimes. Interesting. That, that's yes. an interesting response. Why? why I, because, I'm curious why they would have that kind of response. Well, if you think about any parent, whether you're a parent of a healthy child or you want to protect your children. Well, right, that's true, I guess. But. <laughs> so it's, and especially someone with a disability. Right. You know, we live in a paternalistic society, and they feel I've, I've been their parent for 18 years. Now, all of a sudden, you've been appointed, and now you're questioning the way, you know, we're handling things and whether they need a full guardian. And what the attorney would then say is they've turned 18. In the eyes of the law, they're now an adult. Right. And they have their own rights, and they have a voice in this proceeding. Um, and sometimes becoming the court-appointed attorney can be a little bit lonely because you do have to be that advocate for that young adult if they need a limited guardianship. Sometimes the I had a case recently. The parents were very receptive to the limited guardianship. I've had matters where they weren't as receptive. Wow. Sounds like a very interesting area. So, um 
I, I guess one thing I just can't occur to me, and I guess we'll talk about it after the break, is um, when somebody becomes guardian, I'm just thinking because I'm a financial guy. It's when people okay. come involved in the financial end of it, um, and then somebody's appointed to watch a loved one's finances, what do I know? How do we know that that's really being done correctly, so to speak? Okay. Because I know. You know, once you hand it over, it's kind of like now the whole family's like out of the picture, so right. to speak. Well, if you don't mind, we'll talk about that. We come sure. back from the break in just a few minutes. It's, not about the money, money, money. it's all about how you manage your money. Now let's get back to learning how from Kurt Baker of Certified Wealth Management and Investment with Master Your Finances. Back to Master Your Finance. I'm Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional, here with Attorney Nina Weiss. And we've been talking about guardianship and specifically uh, the value of, I think, limited guardianship, which I think is a great concept, um, which I hopefully it's getting utilized more and more now. It sounds like it is, which yes. I think is a great balance. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things, just as an advisor and somebody who kind of thinks about this stuff all the time, is if you're handing over essentially somebody's finances to another person because they can't literally handle them, who's who's watching the watcher, so to speak? <laughs> I mean, what's the... Uh, so that's the first thing that comes to mind is, is somebody kind of overseeing this process to make sure that whoever's that fiduciary, because I know in my business, you know, we're watched constantly. So right. um, how about in that business? How does that all work? Very good question. And in the past in New Jersey and in other states, you've had horror stories about the Guardian either making wacky investments with the right. person's money or stealing the money or commingling the money. Um, so there, there's two ways that the courts can protect uh, awards finances. Um, in most guardianships where the person has money, um, even if, let's say, the children become appointed as guardian, the court will set a bond. Um, so a bond is essentially an insurance policy over the assets. Um, the an- There's an annual premium, um, and the premium can be paid out of the person's assets and it's it's basically an insurance policy. So if the guardian makes a crazy investment and loses the money or steals the money, hopefully the insurance, the bond, will cover that for the person. So that's one layer of protection. Um, it used to be courts were less concerned if a family member or child was being appointed, but they learned the hard way that really a bond shouldn't be waived, uh, short of extraordinary right. circumstances. If, if yeah. there's, let's say if there's $50,000 and their nursing home costs $8,000 a month and it's going to be gone in three or four months, the court might not uh, require a bond. But if there are assets, in my experience, in the counties I practice in, the courts impose bonds. Yes, money can change people. Exactly. <laughs> or it just lets them be more than who they already are. If they right. have access to it, they're going to start going off. <laughs> exactly. Right. And then the other layer of protection is in guardianships. Um, if there are assets, um, the court, once once the guardian is appointed, there's a court order, and the court will initially require what's called a 90-day inventory of assets. So it's basically just a listing of the assets. So once the guardian's appointed, they'll have access to get information about the person, and they'll have to present to the court. They'll file it with the surrogate of the county. The surrogate of the county functions as the clerk of the court for guardianship matters, and they'll file with the surrogate this inventory. And then every year on the anniversary date of the judgment, so let's say if you're appointed today, October 24th, 2019, on or about October 24th, 2020, you'll have to file an accounting. Um, 
There are different forms of accounting. If, if the person has not as many assets, the court might require what's called the easy form. And all the forms are found online. It's like the tax co- returns now. Exactly. <laughs> and so then it's basically just, you know, replicating a checkbook of what's mm. going in and what's going out. If the assets are more complex, if they have a lot of money, the court might require what's called a comprehensive accounting, where the guardian might need to hire an accountant or an attorney who does this to prepare the formal accounting. Um, there's also in New Jersey now a voluntary, a volunteer not a voluntary, a volunteer monitoring program. Mm. So different counties have monitors who might review these accountings or who might go out and see the person. Because in addition to the financial report reporting, the guardian also has to ref- file every year a report of well-being, which basically confirms where the person's living, how they're doing, what their medications are, and you have to attach an updated medical certification. Because the court is the ultimate surrogate. So that's even when somebody has a limited um, guardianship, even if they're maybe just assigned to do their finances. So they're still going to come in and ask. They're going to talk about well, I guess like if, just regular health as if well? If they're guardian of property only, then okay. they wouldn't have to file a report of well-being. Okay. But if they're guardian okay. of person and property, they would need to file all these reports. Okay. So it really depends on what they're purposes, exactly. so to speak, and they would come in and just give... Exactly. Because people can decline or actually get better, right? So things can happen where... Correct. I mean, are adjustments made to these processes? Because you said some of these... Things, uh, sometimes there are, and right. sometimes um, uh, I had a, a matter in Mercer County. Um, I was the court-appointed attorney. Um, it was a young adult um, along the spectrum. Um, he had just turned 18, and his parents filed for full guardianship. And I went out to meet the family, lovely family, and I learned he, he, he was a driver. He was driving. He was driving his younger brother. Obviously, he had some capacity. He, sure. He's a Let's driver. hope so. Let's hope so. <laughs> right. So I had, at that point, advocated for a, a limited guardian. Um, the parents were concerned with that. They preferred a full guardian. Um, and the way we resolved the issue at that time, the court set some limitations and they also said we because my point was you know he's only 18 as he matures he's going to become an even better decision maker when he's 20 right. 21 22 so the court required us to come back in 2 years the court wanted an updated certification from a doctor filed by the parents setting forth if he still needed some form of guardianship and i I was normally a, a court-appointed attorney's discharge at the time of guardianship, but at that point I was left in on a limited basis to, to see this report. And lo and behold, two years later, the parents filed to undo the entire guardianship. Oh, my gosh. Wow. I, they felt he didn't need it anymore, and it was a really great result. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, that's like the ultimate result, right? Exactly. Is when they, you go through the process when they need it. Right. And when they're done. Exactly. You did your job and now they're off on Because there's own. other ways to help people sure. without a guardianship. But sometimes you do need a guardianship. Right. So it's very, each person's unique. So each surrogate decision-making arrangement should be unique. Well, it's good to hear using the tool to the to the ability it's necessary. I mean, I don't like it when people overuse tools just because, oh, we did it that way before. Let's just keep doing it. Well, that may not necessarily be the best way at this point. That's right. So it's good to keep reviewing. And and the judges have become, because there's the court-appointed attorney, 
the judges over the last several years have become much more open-minded to these arrangements, almost to the point where some expect some limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've found different judges in different counties who previously weren't in tune with these issues who are now hypersensitive to these issues. So it's really, there's been a good involvement. So these different representatives, they kind of kind of talk to each other a little bit because it sounds like this is a developing thing because you said before it was like full guardianship only. Right. And the limited guard- guardianship is kind of a relatively new phenomenon. So it sounds like they're learning more as they see the results from it, actually having this type of guardianship. Exactly. Um, so and it seeing like they talk the to advocacy other. by the court-appointed attorneys. And then, you know, it, it's not really just up to the court-appointed attorney when parents or children go in for a parent, the attorney who's representing the petitioner, the person filing for guardianship, should tell them you might want to consider a limited guardianship. Um, it just makes sense. Wow. Wow. That's fantastic. So is there anything else you want to tell us about guardianship or this whole process uh, before we wrap up? But it's been an amazing uh, area. I think it's really, uh, as I said, under um, understood, so to speak. People don't really understand this process and what needs to be done. I, I think the parting words should be when used in the right way and done in the right way, it it can be necessary and is necessary because you become a voice for that person. Um, but if it's used to the point where it's, you don't want to use it like a sledgehammer. Right. You want to use it conservatively and in a way that, again, you're going to be an advocate and a voice to uplift someone's life rather than to unnecessarily take their autonomy away. Right. And so the people you'd usually say, I heard you mention a bunch of them, like, like uh, dementia, autism, um, mental health issues. Are those kind of the main that, ones that we see most often? There's also, so. I, I was recently appointed in a matter, a woman had a traumatic brain injury. Okay. And similar situation where a, a sister filed, I was the court appointed attorney. Um, and we had, because she is improving. Right. So the, the judge made it clear to the sister who was very concerned with getting her back on her feet. Her goal was to get her back on her feet, back in the community that it was incumbent upon the guardian that when she re- rehabilitates, you're going to need to come back to court. Right. And the guardian underst- understood that. Well, that's good. So it's very important. So it helps a lot, a lot of people. And as we know, a lot of people do need some help. Um, well, Nina, I appreciate you coming on to, and, and discussing this very important issue. So if somebody needs uh, to it, it, look into this, please do. Um, it's very important. Um, you've been listening uh, to Master Your Finances, and I am Kurt Baker. Uh, you can reach me directly at 609-716-4700. Uh, you can listen to this podcast or all of our podcasts at MasterYourFinances.us. And remember that together we can master your finances so you can enjoy financial peace of mind. It's hard to keep up with the fast-paced financial world, but because of Master Your Finances, you have a head start. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, our certified financial planner professional, only on 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. Tune in next week, Sunday at 9 a.m. to get a boost on your financial planning. But if you missed a week, you can check out past episodes. Just go to masteryourfinances.us to check out past episodes and more. Master Your Finances is underwritten by Certified Wealth Management and Investment LLC. Money doesn't grow on trees, but it can grow your portfolio. Thanks to Kurt Baker and Master Your Finances. On Sundays at 9 a.m. Exclusively on 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com.